one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What have you done? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them up. What you doing down here, you Johnny man? Thanks so much for joining us on the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. I'm Ahmed David. With me in studio here is Kieran Murphy. Hello there, Owen. And I'm going to get it out of the way straight away, Kieran. I okay. may have been wrong about Spain. I had them as nailed on certs to win the World Cup, but something about the manner of their 5-1 defeat. It wasn't just how they played. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. a Friday night. I can't remember the nights anymore. It was Friday night, yes. Yeah, something about that. You know that saying, you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Yeah. I would like to amend that to you. don't know what you've got until you still have it, but it doesn't do what it used to do anymore. Mm. you got your your jabbies, your Iker Casillas's, yeah. <laughs> these kind of guys. They, I, mm. I, now I know how good they were by looking at how awful they currently are. <laughs> yeah, God. It was quite a way to start the World Cup. I mean, it, it, I mean, I love, obviously the Brazil game was on on Thursday night, but uh, if you want just a little jolt, just to remind yeah. yourself of how amazing a World Cup can be, watching the World Cup champions, a team who has won, who have won the last three tournaments without conceding a goal in a knockout game for however many games, 10 games or something, concede five goals and play like a shower of geriatrics. I mean, that's a pretty good start to Addy World Unbelievable opening weekend, the controversy in the Brazil game, the Holland's performance, Costa Rica shocking Uruguay. Although it always seems to happen after a shock result. A lot of people start uh, rationalising and saying, well, it wasn't a shock. I mean, they didn't have Suarez and mm. they didn't do very well in qualifying. The Costa Ricans have been, you know, bestriding the world <laughs> yeah, game I, like a I'm colossus. going to give that as a shock to Costa Rica. Yeah. Capped off by Messi getting his goal last night. But I should stress, and I don't want to be a killjoy here, we need to enjoy this part of the tournament for what it is. It's one of the great opening weekends, certainly in, of the last number of World Cup tournaments. Often this can be better than the knockout stages. You're, yes. you're nearly waiting. Well, if it's this good now, how good is it going to be come semi-finals? Maybe not great. It doesn't get kind. Of, it actually doesn't really get better because we have three games at the moment per day. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Oh, you're failing to note the sneaky game between Ivory Coast and Japan that snuck its way up at well, two in the morning the other night. That, well, I think that was that, a fourth game. That, that was day. four. That was four. I honestly didn't realize that was on until uh, I can't remember who's presenting. Was it Dara Maloney or, or, or Bill O'Hurley on RT? And they mentioned that this other game was coming up. And I don't know. That's that's a bit. That's a bit. Come on, lads. That's a bit much. All right, now let's. Uh, well, myself and you can blab away all day here, Murph. We know what everyone's here for. Let's get over to Ken Early in Brazil. Yeah, you can laugh. That was the World Cup. Ken Early, where exactly? It's a big country. Where in Brazil are you? I'm in Salvador, Owen. Uh, Salvador, which is, uh, I suppose, just down from the corner of Brazil, if I was to put it in those terms, <laughs> on the. Uh, on the Atlantic coast. You're Not take- that there is any other coast in, in Brazil, so... Uh, yeah, you're there for work purposes. I'm sure you're taking in a game tonight. 
Yeah, it's Germany versus Portugal at one o'clock this afternoon, which is going to be pretty hot, I think. I mean, uh, well, when I got here yesterday, it was raining a little bit. Actually, it seems to have been raining this morning, so it's cleared the air out a little bit, which is nice. But it does get pretty hot here, so I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, the Germans stand up to that. Uh, what's your sun cream regimen like, Ken? I hope you're minding yourself. Well, I... Um, okay, the fact is, I forgot to bring any sun cream. <laughs> but um, you're fair-skinned and Irish, so that's probably fine. So, it turned out when I was walking around in uh, in Manaus, in, underneath that high equatorial sun, I did get a little bit sunburned. And I'm a little bit worried about my nose. Okay. Okay, well, just just, I was just watch, gonna say just that, that the, the ratio of burn to overall nose is high. <laughs> uh, so I've been rubbing I've been rubbing moisturizer on it, and I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping I'm going to get to keep the nose. You've been to, you've been to Sao Paulo for the opening ceremony in the opening game. You've been in Manaus for England against Italy. You're going to see Portugal against Germany. Now, this sounds incredible. Your highlight so far. Thanks for reminding me of the opening ceremony. On I've honestly never seen such a shambles in my life. <laughs> it's pretty lame. Like. <laughs> I mean, it was a complete. It was like it was like I kind of you're sitting there gaping disbelief, thinking, "Is this really happening? Is um, is this honestly the opening ceremony of the World Cup that I'm looking at? Because this is just. I think what happened was that the 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 actual sound system in the stadium broke down, partially broke down, and it ripped out a whole, um, an, an entire sort of few layers of what was supposed to be the sound mix. So you just had this really weird sort of, uh, sort of sound that sounded like it was floating in from the, the from the next stadium over. And uh, it, it just sounded like, imagine somebody was in a movie, they were going through a bad time, um, maybe they'd had a lot to drink, and maybe they'd then got, a, got knocked on the head very hard. And we're staggering around in an amusement, uh, an amusement park, um, with all with these sort of uh, hallucinatory images of of like carousels going around and that awful kind of fairground music, except distorted by the fact that they've had a head injury. That was what the World Cup opening <laughs> ceremony sounded like. So that was your low light and your highlights so far. Um, well, I, I, I don't know because there've been so many highlights. It's just been brilliant. Every day, I think, has been has been great. I mean the. Brazil game, it was great to see Neymar score. I thought it was an amazing goal. I mean, you know, a couple of friends of mine was, oh, you know, he scuffed it. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, it's lucky the way he manages to scuff a shot right into the bottom corner of the goal from 25 yards out. Like, it's funny how it's only Ronaldinho and Neymar who who kind of scuff in these outrageous goals uh, from these positions. Although, obviously, then the referee kind of gave it to... Um, <laughs> Gave uh, the, the the it would have been more interesting to see if Brazil had to win that game by themselves. Mm. Um, I mean, I think that Brazil. I would still have Brazil as the favourites to win it uh, because I think their defence is good and Croatia are an above average team in this tournament. I think definitely, yeah. you know, like Croatia are, are a decent team. So I wouldn't necessarily be just because Brazil kind of struggled against them in the opening game in those kind of circumstances of pressure. I wouldn't necessarily say... I still think Brazil can kind of get rolling and will be difficult to stop. I mean, when I look at all the other teams, what's the best team you've seen so far? Maybe France? Yeah, Holland. Yeah, probably hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you just forgot Although, that there, that, that game there, kid. Yeah, look, France is fresh in my mind. I was watching it yesterday. You know, Holland is Holland is Friday. I mean, it's receded into the into the, <laughs> the past. Now, Holland Holland were brilliant. And by the way, Robin van Persie, I've never seen Robin van Persie so sharp and so fit and so lean and so hungry. He was like an he was like a a, a missile. Uh, I mean, literally like a, a service to air missile intercepting the ball for the first goal, which is. Probably the best header I've ever seen in my life. And this is from a player I've never really associated with headers. I cannot think of a better one. I mean, I challenge you to think of a better header than that. But then even the second goal, which kind of looks like a tap-in, the, just the physical sharpness of Van Persie. First of all, to charge down Casillas is far quicker than he thinks he's going to get charged down. But the way that he kind of stabbed his foot out to, to, uh, to get to the ball before, I, I don't know who this covering defender was, maybe Ramos. Just like... I, I honestly have not seen Robin Van Persie that sharp for a long time. My conclusion is that he 
really has been resting up for the last nine or ten months. My own, in order to yeah. to get this to, with this in mind all along. My own highlight, and you've alluded to it there, Ken. This is something a lot of people, Murph, were tweeting about this uh, as soon as it happened on Friday night. Let's cast our minds back to that Fred penalty in the very controversial circumstances in which it was given by the referee and also like disallowed goal for Croatia and Neymar not getting sent off for forearms smashing someone in the face although it turns out that referees are being incredibly lenient through the tournament a lot, lot, a lot of Honduras players are very lucky that 1970 that. World Cup was a good World Cup so let's ref the game <laughs> yeah, yeah. like we used to ref it in 1970 but let's think about Brazil and the circumstances of their victory this is Ken Early's crystal ball from last Thursday's show before the tournament kicked off let's have a listen Yeah, I've been trying to look into the future here to see, uh, because I guess people are interested in the future, what's going to happen in it. And there hasn't been a reliable way of, of saying what is going to happen until now. Um, what do you see exactly? I see a statuette of gold. I see uh, I see it being held aloft in a, in a Brazilian stadium, Macanon, uh, by a victorious captain. He was wearing a shirt the same color as the statue, Alan. So uh, I see a man in black, uh, or possibly I don't know, indigo uh, or not yellow anyway in this in this final, rising in the last minute of extra time to punch the winning goal home from a corner kick, uh, and then to look around abashed for he Owen is the referee. It's the first time a referee has ever scored the winning goal in the World Cup final. But FIFA really need Brazil to win this one. Uh, FIFA need Brazil to win that World Cup 2014 and send a lot of good vibes out around the world, around around the cities of Brazil and and around the world. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a referee score a goal in this tournament. And I wouldn't be surprised, well, I would be surprised if he scores a goal for any team other than Brazil. Ken Early's World Cup crystal ball. You're one for one, Ken. Maybe we should... Park the feature now. <laughs> no, 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 is, is no, there no. Any, is there any more need arrogantly to demonstrate the predictive power of this crystal ball? <laughs> no, I'll um, tell you what. We'll give you a break look, for today, but we'll 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 crystal ball it up. You, you, we'll let you polish that ball because it does sound to me, to be honest, like it could be about to malfunction. So do a bit of work, maybe replace it. Yeah. But whatever you do, we'll get another prediction tomorrow because we have got extra shows this week and for the next four weeks throughout the World Cup tomorrow and Wednesday on top of our two shows today and our two shows on Thursday. Uh, we'll get a crystal ball going for you tomorrow. We'll talk about the England game a little bit later, Ken. I know you were speaking to Dion Fanning and John Bruin about that, but let's get into Kennedy's World Cup report on sport. Yeah, on, um, it's been, I think, uh, the great thing about this World Cup so far, and this is something which has... Uh, really failed to happen at the last few. I mean, 2002 in particular, I can think of, but to a lesser extent, 06 and, and 10 as well. Is that the stars so far in this first round of games have all turned up and are all really performing? I think. I mean, last night Lionel Messi finally manages to um, finally manages to get his goal. Um, I mean, Messi had scored, I think, against Serbia as a, as a substitute. I mean, he, when, he, when he was in 2006, when he was, what, 18, uh, 19 years old. And everybody thought that by the time he got to this age, he'd have a ton of World Cup goals. But that's actually been the only one. And the goal that he scored last night was such a classic Lionel Messi goal. It was like 20 goals that he scored for Barcelona over the last couple of seasons. Maybe 40 goals that he scored for Barcelona over the last few seasons. Um, a brilliant run from deep, a 1-2... Uh, just going effortlessly past the last guy on the edge of the box, a shot in off the post, and then a fantastic photograph as well, which I don't know if you've seen, Owen, but yeah, it shows half yeah. of the half of the opponents on their knees and the other half just staring at Messi as he finishes it off from the edge of the box. It's interesting even the way you describe that Messi goal, Ken, in terms of the 1-2 that he played and how he burst on and ultimately curled it into the bottom corner because he wasn't even trying to do that in the first half. I know there were a lot of tactical switches made at half-time, but... I got, I got the sense watching that he was falling into this trap that he fell into in the 2010 World Cup of trying to dribble past players by himself. And he doesn't really do that with Barcelona. I know the argument is that Barcelona has all these great players around him, but he 
doesn't exactly have a, a load of it, the guys he has at Argentina are at a decent enough level that they can play a wall pass with him so I would have thought that what they did in the second half is closer to what Messi needs to do they can play a wall pass but what if the wall isn't in the right place I mean, you need a, you need the you need, you need the walls to be set up in such a way that they're of some use to Messi. It's not just Messi playing a wall pass with someone standing behind them. You know what I mean? It's not it's not going to be of any uh, of any use to him. I mean, what uh, Alejandro Sabella he wanted to do was avoid Argentina having the same vulnerabilities as they had in the last World Cup. Now, in, fa- in fairness to Sabella, there was also problems with the fitness of Higuain and Gago. Both of those players came on at halftime because he obviously decided, all right, this is a disaster. Now, I don't know if Messi himself maybe had something to do with that because I saw that Messi after the game. Um, and when Messi says something like this, what Messi says is, if we don't use that system, that is what we did in the second half, we suffer a bit more. Uh, in the first half, I was alone and Kun Aguero was alone, and it was very difficult. We have to continue doing this, what we did in the second <laughs> half. And when Lionel Messi says that, you know, that's like any other player really, you know, having an absolute uh, meltdown almost in the press conference at his coach. So I don't know if they had a discussion in the, at halftime, Messi told Sabella that Higuain and Gagger were going to be coming on. One way or the other, uh, once they did... Uh, it made a lot more sense from his point of view. You know, he's got a bit more space on the right-hand side. He can cut in as he did for that goal uh, and use the teammates to get through the defence. Um, whereas in the first half, he was getting the ball around halfway. He was turning around. He, so he's he's not running with the ball. He's, he's standing there with the ball at his feet. There's a couple of Bosnians in front of him. You know, what's he supposed to do? I mean... You know, he, it was me and you standing in front of him and he probably just dribbled past us. But he is playing in the World Cup and this is Bosnia and they're actually a pretty decent side. So even if you leave, if you leave Messi, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, no one can be expected to be dribbling consistently past a, an entire opposing team. It just didn't make any sense. And he was looking really bad. And then the second half, things sorted themselves out. But I have to say, I don't think Argentina looked that convincing. I mean, you look at the rest, look through the rest of their team and who else do they have? You know, obviously they've got Aguero, who's who's fantastic. Higuain, if he's fit, is a good player. Another player in the same area of the field, and then Angel Di Maria. And are there any other world-class players in the team? You know, I don't think there are. And you know, Mascherano is is their boss in midfield, and he's been playing centre back for the last four years with Barcelona. Can he just step right back up into midfield and 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 keep going as though as though you've never left or? Our Mascherano's instincts as a midfield player, have they maybe, maybe it, it doesn't make much sense to talk about his instincts having changed, but his habits have changed. Uh, he plays a different position there for Barcelona, and is he still able to do that job as well as he once did? I'm not sure. You mentioned the well, Robin van Persie you seem particularly impressed by for Holland, but in terms of the star players performing so far, Robin was fairly impressive. I, I was wondering, as it happened, what your thoughts would have been on Sergio Ramos for that uh, for that second Robin goal when Robin pretty much took all of Sergio Ramos's strengths and um, destroyed him. Well, actually, a friend of mine came up with the best solution for this. He said it must be very difficult for Sergio Ramos to concentrate on this game when uh, he's replaying his header against Atletico in his head over and over again all the time. So I think maybe that was what happened. I mean, uh, you know the way you, you sometimes see a manager on the sideline. Uh, when he's watching his team and they're chasing for a goal and a ball comes into the box and a guy goes up to head it and you see the manager head the ball. Yeah. You imagine, the, you know, heads the imagine. I swear I saw Sergio Ramos do that just before, just as Wesley Snyder played that ball out of defence uh, for Robin, for Robin to chase. I swear, he, he just had this sort of glazed, distant look in his eye. He just nodded something in there and then suddenly, oh, there's the ball. <laughs> and by that time, Robin was passed. I mean, Robin's very fast. Uh, and and Ramos, to you know, to be fair, didn't wasn't getting a great deal of protection <laughs> from from the defense by the, from the midfield rather at that stage. Um, but you know, I suppose Holland just brilliantly uh, found all Spain's weak points. I mean, they found they knew that they were vulnerable to pace. They knew that they were vulnerable to quick balls. They actually managed to provide a couple of these quick balls. I mean, the, ba- the pass by Daly Blind for Van Persie's goal, the pass by Snyder for the fifth goal. Um, brilliant football. Really fantastic. And I have to say that when I was, where I was watching it was in uh, a kind of a big restaurant in Manaus where everyone was in there watching the World Cup and everybody seemed to be really enjoying Spain's destruction. 
Um, I mean, I don't think it's just to do with Diego. I mean, mostly we're talking about Brazilians here. And uh, I guess Diego Costa, I, I, I think he's actually just a little side show. It was just the, the, everybody glorying in the, the fall of the world champions and the brilliant football that Holland were playing. And the fact that they just kept scoring more and more goals, it was an absolutely unbelievable match. One of the best World Cup matches there's been for decades. Yeah, even you saying Schneider's pass for the fifth goal. I mean, it just yeah. sounds so unbelievable. Yeah, it was it was amazing, and and uh, you know, I mean, what, what is Spain going to do now? I mean, they're everything that they've won over the last few years has been the the hallmark of all their matches has been this incredible intensity that they bring to the game and this this kind of control that they have, and the idea of somebody scoring five goals against them and running ragged and making them look like idiots is just you know nonsense. I mean, what 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 Spain have been doing is, uh, but you, you could see even in this game at halftime. When it was 1-1, you could see that it was more like a normal game of football than a Spain World Cup or Spain tournament game, where they've had well, so much and the opposition has just been chasing and chasing. And there's really only been one team in the game. You could see very clearly there were two teams in this game. I mean, I didn't expect Holland to go and win 5-1. I thought, oh, you know, Holland would go back, back now. Because, I mean, I wasn't rating Holland particularly highly before the tournament. I mean, Van Persie and Robin and Snyder are the stars of the team and then they've got a lot of players who haven't done anything in international football um, and I suppose what they showed us that might be about to change but Spain's intensity Spain's control was completely gone and he wondered if I mean we, we were talking on before the tournament about Xavi and how he might be you know the kind of Xavi would be a problem for Spain but you know Casillas we forgot the disaster he was I mean Casillas has to has to go uh, you lose 5-1 You've got to forget about that goalkeeper, especially when he's responsible, as he was, uh, for a couple of the goals. I don't care how well Iker Casillas spoke in the dressing room after the game or how much responsibility he accepted for what, uh, for what had happened uh, or any of those kind of things. Um, if you've got two other goalkeepers in the squad, one of whom, David De Gea, is a manifestly superior player now to De Gea, he has got to come in now. Uh, the manifestly superior player to Casillas, obviously, I should say. He has got to come in now. Otherwise, what is Vicente Del Bosque doing there? I mean, he's been the manager of the world champions, the European champions. Um, you know, has he really had to make any tough decisions, though, before now? Um, I mean, he's the team has been almost picking itself at times. I mean, the question for him is which fantastic players to leave out. He's usually got those answers right. But now he's got a player who I don't think deserves to be in the team anymore. Maybe more than one. I mean, I don't know what his feeling is on Xavi or whether... I mean, I think what we can say is that Xavi can't affect games anymore if the other two players in midfield are Busquets and Alonso. Maybe he needs quicker players around him uh, in the midfield. I mean, the, 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 that was the big difference in the game. The most obvious difference was the, between the pace, the speed of Holland, the lethal pace of Holland in the counter-attack, and Spain, who, Spain, who for a change couldn't get near the ball. Yeah, just on... Uh, Casillas, I read a brilliant piece by Donald O'Cusack in the Examiner a few weeks ago. He'd been at the Champions League final and he was looking intently at Casillas, a goalkeeper he said he had a huge amount of respect for. He noted in the warm-up that the goalkeeping coach was just lobbing gentle shots at Casillas and at one stage one of the players whacked the ball into the top corner. The goalkeeping coach turns around to the player and starts giving out to him for this. He said that's a terrible sign. If Casillas was in the sort of zone he was in a couple of years ago, he would have challenged that player, you know, try and knock that past me again. Then during the game, I'll tweet a link again to this article. I think I tweeted a link a couple of weeks ago, but this is a direct quote from Donald O'Cusick. When you have to start thinking too much, when you can't find that zone, when there's a disconnect between the C and the act, the position you thought you mastered finally masters you. On Saturday, Casillas was losing that struggle. Now, this is in the Champions League final. The goal he handed to Atletico was just the biggest symptom of what was wrong with him. Most of what he did was weighted down by doubt. The timing was gone. When that happens, it's like the old song, Send in the Clowns. So I think it's very apt to maybe revisit that uh, that article, and I will tweet a, a link to it after. I'll do it directly after this show. But, uh, Ken, just want to ask you about Brazil. You're at the game. After the opening ceremony, the, the match itself, the anthems looked incredible. The atmosphere looked pretty incredible, and the refereeing performance was Well, the atmosphere was a bit weird, actually, Owen, because it was a... Somebody said to me there, um, I think it was Tom Hennigan, actually, at the, who, who lives in Brazil. He's an Irish Times uh, journalist who you can see on the Irish Times side he has been covering uh, the World Cup, but he's been living in Brazil for, for many years. And, you know, look, it's, it's like... Um, uh, when Brazil uh, play at home, there's a saying. Apparently, it's like it's a bit like Sweden, you know, yellow and blue shirts, blonde hair, blue 
audience in the stands, you know, and you're looking all around and it was that it's this type of a crowd. I mean, obviously it's a big event, World Cup opening game in Brazil. Um, were there many football games at the game, football fans of the game? I wouldn't say that many. <laughs> not not huge amount. It came across I mean, really, quite well on TV, time. I must say. Certain, it came across very well on TV, and particularly around the anthem when the music finished. Everyone's been talking about this over the last few days, but everyone continues singing, yeah. including the players. Yeah. And, and when the goals went in, it looked pretty intense to us. It sounded like a bit, uh, a bit like I've never actually been to a One Direction concert, album, but it sounded like I imagine a One Direction concert would sound. Right. You know, it's sort of high pitched uh, crowd noise. Uh, it was it was a little bit different from um, from maybe the the full throated roar that I had been expecting to hear uh, greeting Brazil. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe it was just the opening game, but it, it didn't seem like it wasn't the the white hot inferno of intensity that uh, that uh, maybe you might expect for a Brazil home game in in the World Cup finals. A quick word um, again on England Italy here before we wrap the report on sport because we're going to hear from a couple of journalists there. But I noted in the Irish Times today that you reckoned that Hodgson was playing to the gallery a little bit with his team selection. Yeah, now you know it's it's kind of like on the one hand I think Hodgson is doing the right thing. I mean, we've, we were talking about this before the World Cup, and, you know, I think he should be uh, picking uh, guys like Raheem Sterling. I think he should be using them. But how is he going to use them? This is a question. I mean, it's not just a question of getting these players into the team because you think, you know, people are going to applaud you. I mean, you know, if you look, just just look at the English, uh, just look at the English press today, Owen. Look at uh, the tenor of the stories about the English game. And it's all... Well, a brave new world for England, or a, a, a new start for England. Um, here's uh, here's one from the the Daily Telegraph. Raheem Sterling vindicates inclusion on <clears throat> England World Cup debut with promise for future. Um, England have been to too many tournaments and been lifeless, fearful, and gone home early. They may have been thrown out of this magnificent World Cup. Uh, they may be thrown out of this magnificent World Cup party prematurely, but at least they're having a go, playing with a zest not seen in more sterile recent tournaments. England lost a game, but gained some friends. Now that's Henry Winter in the Daily Telegraph, uh, a man who often, I think, will set the tone for this kind of official line of the English press on uh, on these type of issues, and he's saying. You know, bloody good performance by England, as opposed to, oh my God, England have just lost their first game in the World Cup. Hodgson is a disaster. You see what I mean? Now, uh, it's you know, so so I think Hodgson will be pleased with that. But I don't think that what he, I don't think the team he set out made any sense. I think there is a way to, to include Raheem Sterling in the England team. Um, but if you're going to play Wayne Rooney on the left to get him in there, then you've then, then you've taken a step backwards. You take it one step forward and two step backwards. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think you know to play Rooney on the left is just a way of getting him in the team without having to take Sturridge out of the team or change your formation, right? So there, they will be two difficult things for Roy Hodgson to do. Uh, three difficult things: number one, drop Rooney; number two, drop Sturridge; number three devise a new system which has both Rooney and Sturridge in the team in which both are playing in their best position, i.e. up front. Hmm. All those are quite difficult. What about if I just put Rooney out on the left? Would that be would that be acceptable? It's a bit of a fudge, but you know, at least he's in the team and they'll all be happy. No! Rooney was running up and down. I mean, it was... I, I was sitting in the in press... My, my major concern at one point was to try and uh, position my my computer in front of me so that the stream of sweat falling from my head didn't didn't get in through the, the keyboard, <laughs> right? So that's that, that that was the kind of thing that was on my mind as, as I was there. Rooney, meanwhile, uh, is being asked to play this. You know, the managers they don't really tend to say it that uh, that much anymore. But when a manager was playing four five one, he'd always say, "Well, we're four three three with we're four three three with the ball and four five one without the ball." Right, so that was effectively what England were doing. You, you don't get managers saying that too often anymore, but that that involves essentially the wire player tracking back and tucking in, which is what Wayne Rooney was doing all night. Much more so, I have to say, than Welbeck on the other flank. Welbeck seemed to be allowed to to uh, stay a little bit further forward, but Rooney, every time England got had the ball, he was running forward to try and get involved. And then when lost it, he's running back to tuck in, really tied into the midfield. And what this meant was running back and forth and back and forth and back and forth without touching the ball. And 
It's just, it was insane. It was actually insane to watch that happening. How can you devise a game plan which has your 28-year-old striker, who we, we all know what kind of a build Wayne Rooney is, we all know he's not the best runner in the England team, to run up and back and up and back without barely touching the ball. If England wanted to play somebody who was going to double as a midfielder and a striker do the job of two men, England have men who are better runners than Wayne Rooney. Pick one of those guys. But if you're going to pick Wayne Rooney, don't pick him in a position where he's going to look bad. This is a guy who's only going to be judged on whether or not he scores in the World Cup finals. Not whether he, not how many off-the-ball runs he makes to into covering positions when he's off the screen. When people watching on TV can barely even know that he's in the game. People might be watching on TV at some point, at every single second of the game in a pub somewhere in England, someone is turning around to the people who are with going, where's Rudy? <laughs> and demanding to know where, where, where Rudy is. The invisible Wayne Rudy who's not justifying his selection. And so... I actually felt a bit of sympathy for Wayne Rooney. I know, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily be his biggest fan uh, at all times. And, and you know, obviously he's a, he's a very well-paid young man, the best-paid footballer in the Premier League. And I don't think he's the best player in the Premier League. But at the same time, when you see him being made, I thought to look really bad um, by that system. You know, I did. You have to feel sympathy for him. He's going to be judged by the entire country. And if he has another couple of games like he did tonight, even though he played well and worked harder than anyone else on the team, anyone else on the team, he's going to come home and it'll be Wayne Rooney, the man who wasn't there. That's the end of Kennedy's report on sport. Hairdryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a fierce blast of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, no, he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. We might as well continue with this theme, though, Ken. You caught up with a couple of fellow football journalists to talk England, Rooney Hodgson. Yeah, so I'm in uh, Manaus on Saturday night, John Bruin uh, of ESPN and Dion Fanning of Sunday event were also there, so uh, we all had a quick word after that game. Wayne Rooney got a little bit touchy in the mix zone after that game. Um, I think he was saying, you know, I've never said I should have an automatic place, uh, this kind of thing. He seemed to be getting a little bit, he seems to get it, you know, be a little bit angry that he's being criticised again. Should he be being criticised again? I don't think there's any doubt he should be criticised. Um, he supplied England's best moment of the match, which was the pass for Daniel Surridge to score. But other than that, he's, off, he's asked to play a role on the left-hand side as part of a rotating attacking unit. And part of that, in a Roy Hodgson team, in any team, is to be part of the defensive effort. And let's face it, the player that suffered the most on the evening was Leighton Baines, and that's because he was exposed by Wayne Rooney, who was not doing his job covering in front of Leighton Baines. Now... We can debate whether Ashley Cole should be here instead of Leighton Baines and perhaps Ashley Cole would be capable of playing there on the left-hand side alone. I think he possibly might be, especially defensively. But if Rooney's offered that job and he is the team player that he suggests that he is, then he's got to be criticised. And there is a tetchiness. I mean, even in the uh, before the tournament, uh, I was at the press conference, he was very tetchy as soon as any questions are asked of him. Um, he said ahead of this tournament he was going to try and enjoy this tournament I'm not quite sure that he is. Um, I mean, uh, there's a couple of things in what you've said there, John, that I actually disagree with. I mean, first of all, surely the fact that he's up against, um, or Leighton Mains was up against Darmian, the Italian, young attacking Italian right back, as opposed to Giorgio Chiellini, who's <laughs> literally he, never, never mounted an overlapping run in his entire life, might have something well, also did, to do it. Rooney, Rooney ran further than any, any other player in the England team in, in the first half. Well, he did, but he was, you know... The, the crucial moments are where uh, Baines was let down by Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney's actually a, a good player at covering. Mm. I mean, when you think of Wayne Rooney, you always think of that moments where he runs back and chases the ball down. But it does seem to be that he picks and chooses those moments rather than sticks to them diligently. Dan, mm. what do you make of it? I think it's interesting what's, what's going to happen over the next few days with Rooney uh, being made the scapegoat. And I think his, his touchiness is probably because he knows he knows what's coming down the line. Hodgson said it in the press conference afterwards as well that uh, there's always the debate always centres around one person, and it's clearly it's going to be Rooney this time. And yet I think, you know, England again, they, there was plenty of sort of crash bang wallop 
But the, the, the core thing for me was their inability to control the game, to actually have a midfield that uh, can pass the ball and keep the ball. And if, if they go hunting after Rooney, that kind of that sort of uh, overlooks that that key problem, that kind of ongoing uh, generation, you know, handed on to generation problem that England have. And uh, and I wonder why Steven Gerrard has never made a scapegoat because he was terrible tonight. Yeah, he was. He, he didn't do anything. He can't. You know, again, he showed all his limitations in that position. And Rooney, because of his profile, because of his kind of failure to be the player, people thought he would be uh, is going to be the one you know with, with some justification he's going to be the one scapegoated but Gerard, how many good games has Gerard played for England well, I, yeah I mean I, I was yeah, thanks for that one yeah no I, I mean I, I've, I've had this debate we're in this era aren't we where there's a, a few England players are passing a century of caps yeah and I think Beckham uh, was the only one of them that was ever any good Yes. Consistently for England. Well, no, Ashley Cole has got 100 caps. Yeah, I think yeah. I think we have to say that Ashley Cole is, was an excellent for England. But yeah, yeah. Beckham was a great captain for England and a leader for the team and the figurehead and all that. But also a good player, Lampard and Gerrard, both have got pretty pretty indistinguished, you know, undistinguished England careers. I, I don't really I agree with Dean. I don't really know. Can we we think of Stephen Gerrard's great performances? I mean, what can you think of for England, Dean? I mean, get, maybe Munich in two thousand and one. Yeah, yeah it's probably good that that night. Uh, uh, second half when he came on, he had a very good game once when he came on against Germany in the European Championships. That's yeah. uh, fourteen years, 14 years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I remember his debut against Ukraine got rave reviews. Yeah. Um, we're struggling a bit here, aren't we? Um, I agree. Didn't he score a very good goal against Macedonia one time? Yeah, that's Macedonia, can. No. And did he play well? He won probably a good game in the European Championships, didn't he? Did you, uh, yeah, I think uh, yes. Euro 2012, yeah. there were signs that he could possibly adapt to a more defensive role. But then th- when, the, when they came up against Pirlo again, he, 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 uh, he disappeared that yes. night. I mean, I, I've got to say, though, I mean, I know it sounds like I'm obsessed with Rooney here, but I, I, I think today he was set up to fail by um, playing in a position that he's totally unsuited to. Like, it, why pick Wayne Rooney to shuttle back and forth? Like, I was watching the first 20 minutes of the game. He barely touched the ball. But every time England had the ball, Rooney has to run forward and try and become a striker. And every time they lose the ball, he has to run back and tuck into midfield and sort of, you know, be, be a part of this tight little unit. And the result of it was he was running back and forth and back and forth, never touching the ball and becoming exhausted without ever having a chance to influence the game. Yeah, and the thing is... Which is Roy Hodgson's fault. Yes, and Roy Hodgson left you know, left him on the field for the full 90 minutes, yeah. which you've got a question of wisdom of, considering he has run the, the furthest distance of any of the players. Um, I mean, at a certain point, yeah, if Hodgson picks the player and it's the wrong player to play there, then Hodgson has to carry the can for that, and I think maybe that's a lot to do with the fact that Hodgson has defended Rooney, uh, both in a TV interview and in the press conference, because he probably knows that putting him in that position was the wrong one. I mean, I don't understand why Danny Welbeck was not played out on the left-hand side. Mm. Um, as, you, as you said, Ken, I mean, Glenn Johnson was a player that we all had fears about, but Chiellini presented no threat to him. I yeah. thought Glenn Johnson had a decent game. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, a couple of the players have been saying also, uh, Phil Jagielka said this, Gary Cahill, um, uh, Sturridge as well, I think, that England played in the way that the public want to see. This is what the public wants to see. Well, the, Hodgson said that in the press conference as well. He's, you know, we were the team. Uh, we were on the front foot. We were playing the second half in the Italians' half. You know, we were going for it. The heat didn't affect us. We were able to keep going, keep pushing, keep being brave, keep being valiant, keep doing all these things, except and keep losing. Like that was the, you know, he, the one thing Hodgson left out was that Italy were winning at this point. Italy were winning for all of the second half when England had the ball. Italy controlled the game. They did cunning. They had guile. They knew what to do. And England had, and again, just kind of intelligence lacking, lacking from their play. And that's the thing that's always missing. And maybe the public do, maybe the English public do want, want. They want to see the young players. Hodgson gave them the young players. Rooney may be the, the sacrificial lamb so that you know people can see these young players. But the team, I don't think the team is balanced. Yeah, I think this. Yeah, I think the problem is that uh, he actually has to pick between Sturridge and Rooney. Rooney can only play centre forward. You can't have Rooney playing in a, in a position where he needs to run and run and run. He's just not going to be effective in that position. And Sturridge clearly can't. He's not as versatile as Rooney 
ever was. So really it has to be one or the other. That's the difficult decision that Roy Hodgson is kind of avoiding. Yeah, and I suppose the question is, is Roy Hodgson a, a brave enough manager to take those type of decisions? I think the selection today suggests that it seemed to me as if he was rather bowing to pressure. Yeah. I mean, there has been a, a, a big storm about the fact that Sterling should play, and a, that was borne out. Sterling played very well, but that means displacing Wayne Rooney into a position that he's not suited to. I don't think Rooney did a good job there, but you know, you can't blame Rooney fully. Um, let's face it; I don't think any of us believe that Hodgson is going to be the man who will drop Wayne Rooney. Um, I'd, I'd like to see the England manager that does. Um, it's going to be. It's going to happen someday. But, but hasn't Hodgson done very well? That England, England have lost their first game in the World Cup and everyone is talking about how well they've done. <laughs> well, uh, apart from us, maybe. Yeah, but, but, but the general sense is of, you know, uh, you know hard luck, you know, better, better luck next time, yeah. uh, which is a kind of an achievement. Like, he has done very well in, in doing the thing that Hodgson has always been about, really, which is kind of... Remodeling expectations, bringing the you know pushing them right down low, and and that's kind of continuing. Uh, people are talking about the young players. They're saying they you know they played with all this kind of spirit and heart, and maybe it's better. Maybe they're right. Maybe they shouldn't be having. They shouldn't be. It'd be unrealistic for them to be you know for people to be going crazy saying this is outrageous yeah. that England have lost to Italy because England you know seven times out of ten should lose to Italy I thought Italy were quite good I mean um, you know having watched them against Ireland uh, it, the difference in their approach between a friendly match at Craven Cottage and a World Cup matches is quite clear to, to see but isn't that everything the difference between Italy and England too is that when, when it comes to a game like this they know what to do they, 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 they care they, they care about it they know how to, to carve out a result uh, and I thought they were impressive. I thought, I think, but I think they knew. Like people like Perlo, they know they know how they, they know when to hurt teams and when to kind of retreat. They know how to hurt teams. And Perlo knows. You can see him. Just, he's just been waiting for those moments when he can inflict a bit of pain on somebody, yeah. uh, and then he retreats again. Eng- England don't have. They're, they're nowhere near to having having that level of uh, sophistication. It doesn't even stretch the sophistication. It's that calm on the ball. I mean, England's attacking is. It's, it was thrillingly exciting when, uh, say, Sturridge, uh, Welbeck or Sterling are in full flow. But it's exciting just for that fleeting moment, whereas Italians build up to those moments. It's the way Pirlo's looking for the pass around the outside to the right back, and they've obviously worked at the fact that they know that there's going to be weaknesses and that England's formation has played into their hands, whereas England... I get the impression that Hodgson didn't actually make any plans for the Italians at all, mm. which... Slightly concerned. Well, he planned to to man mark Pirlo. Apparently, I mean, was that not was that well, not said? Yes, it, which goes against what he said in the press conference on the night before. He said he had no plan for Pirlo, no and, I mean, really. and, and then he said he did. But the thing is that everybody knew on on Thursday that there wasn't going to be Pirlo playing in the same position as he was in Euro twenty twelve. That they were going to play a load of midfielders, and there was no point in. Yeah, and, and Pelo was was just given a, a wandering role, and you know the wandering minstrel just strolling around, passing the ball where he wanted. Um, and you know he moves at an incredibly slow pace, a pace actually suited to the conditions out here, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the other thing. I mean, when Hodgson's talking about his team, you know, keeping the pace up. Why, why, why was he not telling him to conserve energy for the second half? Because once Italy scored through Balotelli, I, I don't think anybody with any sense thought that England would get a goal after that really yeah. I mean what there was the Rooney chance that was dragged wide yeah. and a couple That's, of free kicks yeah. but Italy just holding them off picking them off the Italians are the best team through history I suppose at grinding out those type of results One of England or Uruguay is going to die as far as the World Cup is concerned on Thursday probably um, which one is it going to be do you think? Well I, mean, I think the one thing from watching a Costa Rica game is that the Uruguayans seem to be vulnerable to the type of attacks that England actually seems to be quite good at. Mm. Uh, those on the break, um, it's just whether. I mean, Uruguay are obviously going to sit, get sit back in that game. Uh, the question, of course, is Suarez, who the fact he didn't get on in that Costa Rica game suggests that he's probably not fit to be at the tournament at all. No. So, I'm. Do you know, what? I'm going to say that England might get a result there. Why not? England. Yeah, I think England as well. I think they sort of think Suarez might be fit for that game. But I think they're, they're Uruguay are vulnerable at the back, and I think England will uh, 
bounce. Although they're not, they're just, they can't bounce back when they've had such a good night and lost. Normally yeah. they bounce back, so maybe they'll, maybe they'll, they'll uh, you know, they, they won't. Do, somehow it'll go wrong for them on there. They'll play badly and win. All right, that was Ken speaking to John Bruin. It's Dion Fanning, Ken, and maybe somewhat, uh, somewhat diverging opinions on Rooney and on exactly what Hodgson's doing here. But I think everyone seems to be aware that Rooney. Uh, was it Dion who alluded to it there that Rooney said he's going to enjoy this tournament, or was it John? There's no way he, he said I'm going to enjoy this tournament regardless of how the football goes or something along those lines, which seems insane. But the point that Dion made about Stephen Gerrard is interesting. I thought Gerrard just looked. I think he actually was okay. I think he, he's been a bit better for England than he was given credit for in that conversation. But he was pretty awful the other night, and I didn't hear any criticism of him really. No, um, I mean, that's maybe that's because he did, he wasn't really there at the cutting edge of the game. You know, I, I think. Uh, I mean, the only thing I can really remember Stephen Gerrard is giving the ball away with one of those um, long passes in the move that led up to Mario Balotelli chipping the ball over Joe Hart and having the having it cleared off the line by Jagielka. So that would have been um that would have been a bit of a disaster for Stephen Jared, but Jagielka, I think it was, who saved him. Um otherwise what he's got to do in the team isn't really uh I mean it, 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 he he had a lot of protection. So so Jared's a defensive midfielder uh, and what was happening whenever England didn't have the ball was he had all these players coming back, including Rooney, as I've been mentioning, tucking in very tight. Um, and England, clearly, their idea was to cover the central positions. But um, what that did was left the, the player who was left exposed was Leighton Baines. Uh, well, the two, the two fullbacks, but Leighton Baines was exposed by virtue of the fact that he was up against an Italian fullback, Matteo Darmian, who is 24 years old, uh, evidently tireless, tirelessly energetic and attacked him all night, whereas Glenn Johnson was looking at Giorgio Chiellini who was back in, uh, back in the Italy half with his hands on his knees you know, leaning over like Gary Pallister thinking, yeah. oh my god, when is this going to end? So, uh, Baines was the one who was who, who ended up being exposed not so much Stephen Gerrard um, he was in a, in a more privileged position. I don't think he really gives England a whole lot beyond that ability to sort of distribute the ball from the back but even then, I don't think he ever distributed it in a particularly unpredictable way that was likely to put Italy off balance. You know, most of his passing was good. You know, he transfers the ball 40 yards from the back out to the wing. But everybody knows what's going to happen. You know, it's not going to surprise him. I mean, I contrast to Pirlo within the first couple of minutes. One of his uh, passes was again in midfield, picking the ball up in the usual type of Gerard position and hits very suddenly a low pass, 40 yards uh, at, a, at a steep forward angle. I can't remember who it was, possibly Kondreva who he picked out, but nobody was expecting it. And suddenly Italy had the ball in a forward position and nobody was really in uh, in the position the, from an England point of view they would have liked it. Gerard didn't try anything that ambitious. Um, so, you know, I'd, I would give him like a, a, a 6 out of 10. You know, I don't think he really... I don't think he was exposed, but I don't think he really contributed a whole lot either. So I'd say six as opposed to seven. Yeah, and uh, a, a point now from the mind of Phil Neville, the much maligned Phil Neville, who actually raised within about twenty minutes of the start of the game the fact that Gerard is on the left of the two of the two central midfielders. So he and mm. in, in for instance, Neville said me, immediately switch Henderson over there and help Leighton Baines out because there's it wasn't just Baines and Rooney. There's obviously a relationship inside them as well, and Gerard was the player completing the triangle there between Baines, Gerard, Rooney and where all the problems were coming from was actually as much Gerard's issue as it was Rooney's issue uh, and he was actually the only person I saw that actually raised that point and I actually thought that was a really, really good point to make that if Henderson had been in there suddenly uh, Darmian is cutting in uh, into an area where there is a player playing there with the energy to actually cut him out and, and make some tackles. Yeah, but the problem... The, the problem that England had was the problem that Rooney tried to explain to the media. Actually, I've got to say, I'm 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 quite interested to see the headlines that uh, that there are about Rooney today. In terms of, he seems to be saying, if you were to believe the papers, that he's concerned about his place, and um, Raheem Sterling might come in and take his uh, and take his place. And he didn't say anything like that at all. What Rooney did was he. T- Took offence. No, he he reacted kind of irritably to being asked 
about, uh, do you, he was asked a question, do you still think your place is guaranteed? And he, and he kind of pugnaciously said, why, would you, why do you say that? You know, why, you know, I've never said my life is guaranteed. You know, I work hard to get in the same. I work hard to get in the same. But it was, at no point was he saying, yes, I'm a little bit concerned about my place. Clearly, Wayne Rooney expects to get in the team. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows that he expects to get in the team. You know, uh, I, don't, I think the headlines are a little bit misleading. But what Rooney said in the bit before then, which I don't think anyone has, has really referred to, because it's about football and uh, it's not as interesting <laughs> as the idea that, you know, Rooney might be, might be worried that Raheem Sterling is going to steal his place in the team. Um, Rooney essentially made this, uh, made this point, and I've just I've got the quote here. So he is basically trying to explain what was happening. He says, they're, well, they're a clever team. They had the wide man and the fullback and Variety coming in. You have to leave one of them with the ball. If you block the pass to Variety, the fullback gets high. If you block the fullback, Variety gets it. So basically, Rooney's making the point that there is no way to solve this problem completely. You have to choose which problem you solve. And that's the difficult, that's the difficult part. You know, one way or the other, you're going to have a problem, but which one do you want? Uh, so uh, the one that England chose was to protect the centre and leave the wing exposed. And ultimately, they ended up, uh, they ended up paying for that. All right. Well, Ken, you're... World Cup moves along. Germany against Portugal today in Salvador. So uh, enjoy that one. We will be talking about that tomorrow because we've got extra shows every day this week. We've got um, Monday to Thursday for our usual shows on Monday. And we will have, in fact, hurling and football talk about it a little bit later on today. So have a listen out to that. And tomorrow, World Cup, Wednesday, World Cup chat, Thursday, World Cup chat, and more GA and loads of other stuff. And uh, that's about it. That's about it from the housekeeping point of view, Murph. Thank you very much for being here with us. Thank you, Owen. Do check out irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Have a listen to all the other podcasts on the Irish Times there. Ken, thank you in Salvador and enjoy the game today. Thank you very much, Owen. And Kira, I'll be talking to you tomorrow from For the Lead. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you later. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.